the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We're looking at saving faith. Join us on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. The question is, what is saving faith? Here in Luke chapter 5, we have a clear picture from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. We're continuing our survey of Luke today, and as mentioned, we're in chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. We would invite you to join us as we look at saving faith and precisely what it is. With today's edition of Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. But there are other things I just take on faith. I can't prove them. I don't know if they're true or not. I I just assume they are true. I don't have quite as much certainty as I know other things. I just sort of believe them. I believe these things, but they are, you see, this dichotomy originated with Thomas Aquinas and others. It did not originate with Scripture. By faith, we understand. By faith, beloved, we know. Listen carefully. There is nothing more certain in life than the knowledge we receive by faith in the Word of God. Nothing more certain in all of life because there is nothing in all of life that rests upon a more certain foundation than the testimony and witness and authority of the living God. You have every reason to believe every doctrine in the Bible. And you have every reason to disbelieve any doctrine not found in the Bible because the authority of God rests upon His Word. And you must accept His Word as the truth. You don't need any other proof. Your faith does not rest on man and his powerful reasoning or experience. It rests upon our sovereign God and His inerrant Word, the most firm, the most firm foundation upon which anything can rest. There's nothing in life that you can understand with greater certainty than a knowledge of God from His revealed Word that you have received by faith. God reveals Himself to you. You know Him, and you put your faith in Him. In putting your faith in Him, you surrender yourself to His will. As you surrender yourself to His will, you learn to look at yourself and all of life from God's perspective alone. And when you do this by faith, you understand His created order. By faith, you understand yourself. A person who does not know God does not know himself. One of the greatest, most brilliant pages out of all the millions of pages ever published is the first page of Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion in which Calvin says, you can't know yourself until you know God. 
And you can't know God unless you know yourself. And no one can put their life together and be in touch with the meaning and the purpose of life until they have first of all put their faith in God. Now these are the fundamentals of saving faith that our world's forgotten. Everything we know in life, the certainty we have of the knowledge that we have received from God's Word, we have by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no understanding of ourselves. There's no understanding of God. There's no understanding of anything in all of life at the deepest level of human existence without faith in God and what His Word says about Him and any faith we put in God. And trust we put in His words grow out of the revelation of Himself to us in His word. Doctrine. Of course, believers were saved by faith in the Old Testament as well. It's not by works as some teach today. In fact, some of the Hebrew words are really rich in their description of what faith is. We read in the Old Testament of trusting in God or trusting to God. We read of finding refuge in God in the shadow of His wings and committing ourselves to Him and setting our confidence in Him, looking to Him, relying on Him, staying ourselves upon Him, setting or fixing our heart upon Him, binding our love on Him, clinging to Him, hoping in Him, waiting on Him, longing for them. All of these words are for faith in the Old Testament. So we, are to, to, we were to put in one sentence what the Old Testament teaches us about saving faith. It is this. It is an utter commitment of ourselves to Jehovah. It is Jehovah, here I stand in you, I can do no other. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now remember, faith is not just intellectual assent, although we saw that it includes that. We believe... We have to believe right doctrine, beloved, because we can go to hell if we believe certain heretical doctrines. But faith is also the entire commitment of ourselves to Jehovah's care with complete trust in Him as our guide, as our provider, our Savior, and with confident assurance that He is going to give what He has promised us. Those are the elements we see tied time and again to faith in the Old Testament. Real saving faith. Believing what God has said about himself is true. Rooted in the revelation of God to the human soul. Faith surrenders, commits itself in its entirety, Jehovah. The entire believer, all aspects of his life with the trust that God will be his guide. That he will be his provider, his savior with the confident assurance, the expectancy that what God has promised, He will surely give. Back in the days of the patriarchs, men and women had great faith in the living God. In Genesis fifteen six, it says concerning Abraham, and he believed in the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham's right standing with God was through faith, and not through any works or good deeds that he ever performed. He was counted as accepted with God. He was chosen of God, not because of anything he did. It was through faith in God and his promises. In Genesis 26, 14 and 5, we read, 
I, God, make thee thy make thy seed to multiply as the stars of the heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all of the nations of the earth be blessed, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Here is a verse that tells us that Abraham was very specific and careful and disciplined in his obedience to the law of God. But he didn't do it to earn points with God. God had already chosen Abraham and accepted him as his own, giving him faith to believe. Therefore, Abraham's obedience grew out of his faith in God's promises given by God to every single believer. When we read about all the patriarchs in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and the others, we see that their faith was a precondition for obedience. Their lives were ordered by a trust in God through faith, which was then expressed in their conduct. We find that these men were first and foremost men of faith, and as men of faith, they were accounted as righteous, accepted with God, and their faith showed itself in their obedience to the Word of God. And this is also true of the life of Moses, although some say Abraham had faith through grace, while Moses taught us about faith by works, or the law. Here we see this dichotomy, as if grace and works are antagonistic to each other. A well-known theologian, unfortunately, by the name of Watchman Nee, said that when God had Moses bring the Ten Commandments down off of Mount Sinai to the children of Israel, God was actually tempting them to see whether or not they would remain faithful to the religion of Abraham, or whether they would accept the religion of the law from Moses. So when God had Moses offer them the Ten Commandments, he really wanted Israel to turn Moses down. Watchman Nee even says, God gave us his law to be broken. Well, it is obvious Nee knows nothing about faith, about the Old Testament, about the purpose and the place of law and its relationship to grace. There is no dichotomy here. Let me show you. Turn to Exodus 20. How do the Ten Commandments begin? Is it with a command? No, it's with a confession of faith. It's with a confession of doctrine. Verse 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. God is saying, You whom I have redeemed, you whom I have entered into a covenant bond of friendship, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the doctrine of grace, beloved, and yet it is a law. So you see, what the law of God, even in those days, presupposed was grace. It presupposed redemption. 
the faithfulness, the obedience to the law which Moses required of Israel began with faith which came from God. The very giving of the law on Mount Sinai was grounded in God's covenant promises to His people. In Exodus 19.3 we read, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then shall you be peculiar people unto me above all people. Now let me ask you a question, a question that will refute all dispensationalists and antinomians in the world. Which came first, the exodus through the Red Sea or the giving of the Ten Commandments on on Mount Sinai? Obviously it was the exodus. God miraculously redeemed the children of Egypt through the Red Sea and then later He gave them his law, saying, in effect, since the exodus came first, I am giving my law to a redeemed people, to a people of faith. And now to you, who have put your faith in my promises, who have been recipients of my redemption, now I call on you to live as my holy people. If Mount Sinai had come first, what would it have signified? What would it have signified? If God had given the Israelites the Ten Commandments before He rescued um, them from Egypt, it would refute our confession of faith and everything that I've taught you thus far today. Because that scenario would say, before I can rescue you from bondage and redeem you from your sins. You have got to keep my law first. I'm going to give you my law at Mount Sinai. And then after you keep it for a while, I'll rescue you from bondage and redeem you through the Red Sea. That is not salvation by grace, beloved. That's salvation by works. But you see, that's not what happened God redeemed his people first, and second, he gave them his law. So the giving of the law is grounded in the promises of God. God has never and will never save any man because of that man's good work. He's dead. He can't perform any good works. The whole life of Israel during Moses' day was based upon the grace of God. It was because Israel was God's chosen people, just as you. It was because Israel had been redeemed by miracles and through the Passover that God called upon them to obey His law. Faith is the presupposition of the law. Without faith, without redemption, we would have no desire or ability to obey God any more than the Israelites did. Now, what place did faith play in the preaching of Jesus? All that Jesus did and ever taught was directed toward drawing people to himself. 
Everywhere throughout his preaching, he offered himself as the object of faith and claimed faith in himself as the highest action of the human soul. He taught that it required faith in him if one was to receive eternal life. In fact, one of the most offensive things that Jesus taught was that faith in him as one's Lord and Savior was a certain outcome and result of faith just like in the Old Testament. Now that was particularly heinous to the Jews. Turn to John 5 and we'll read verses 46 and 47. Jesus says to them, If you really do have faith in the Old Testament, then the natural outcome will be that you will have faith in me. If you don't have faith in me, if I'm not the object upon which your faith rests, then it shows that you really don't have faith in the Old Testament at all. If one claims to believe in the Torah, if one claims to believe in the word of Yahweh, but the natural result is that they don't believe in Christ, then you don't really believe what you think you believe, Pharisees and scribes. Look at John 46 and 47. For had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe in my words? Now here's something even more offensive to the Jews. Jesus said that faith in him is identical to faith in the living God. Look again at John, this time, 5 verse 25. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so he hath given life to the Son, to have life in himself, to give to his chosen people. Now John 6 verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth in him, they have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. Verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that heareth and have learned of the Father cometh unto me. So you see, time and again in the teachings of Jesus, he said, believing in me and believing in God is exactly the same thing. You can't believe in God unless you believe in me, and you can't believe in me unless you believe in God. In fact, God requires that you believe in me. And any failure to believe in me, says Jesus, brings you eternal damnation. So no matter how terrible it sounds to this age of ostensible total tolerance, Christians must give testimony to the fact that unless a person has as the object of his faith the Lord Jesus Christ, saving faith, he will eternally perish. In the New Testament, as we saw in the Old Testament, faith includes intellectual assent to doctrines, believing the right things. But it also is more than that. In the New Testament, it is the reliant trust of a person on Christ. It is the movement of the whole inner heart of a man toward the living God. It is one's commitment without reservation and with total self-denial for the sake of God in Christ as his only Savior. 
Saving faith empties itself of any claim on God and casts itself on the grace of God alone for salvation. It is a radical thing, beloved. It is defined as coming to Christ. And coming to Christ isn't something that you do with your feet. You don't come forward in a church to come to Christ. Coming to Christ is believing what the Bible says about Christ is true doctrine without any reservation. And then receiving Him as He offers Himself to you in the Bible. You read in Scripture that Jesus Christ is a prophet who can save you from the darkness and the delusion and blindness of sin. So you receive Him as your prophet. You read in the Bible that Jesus Christ is a priest who gave his life for us and took upon himself the punishment our sins deserve. So we come to Christ and receive him as our priest. We read in the Bible that Jesus Christ is a king who subdues the passions of our heart and governs our hearts and our minds. And we recognize our need of such a great king. So believing what the Bible says is true, we come to Christ and surrender Him as our sovereign King. It is the movement of our hearts to the truth, to doctrine. It is not an icy, cold intellectual thing. Yes, it involves the mind, but it involves every aspect of a person's life. When you believe the doctrines of the Word of God, and you put your faith in the living God, who has revealed Himself in those doctrines or the very words of the Bible, then you not only trust Him without reservation and in total self-denial, you surrender the entirety of your life to Him, and you empty yourself of any claim on your own life and on God, and you cast yourself entirely upon God's mercy. Is that you, beloved? Is this the kind of faith you have? Do you have any doubts about who Christ claims himself to be? Do you have any doubts about your unworthiness to be called his child? Are you really willing to deny yourself to serve him? Is he truly first in your life or just a close second? is glorifying Him in all that you do, the number one priority of your life. Do you have the faith in Him to think of others as better than yourself and to serve them instead of seeking to be served? Do you have the faith to face your trials and tribulations and the uncertainty of our future, boldly knowing that He is always with you? Are you faithful at studying His Word and learning the doctrines that is revealed to us in that Word so that you can lift Him up to others and teach others and so that others might learn of His mighty, merciful work and come to a saving knowledge of Him? Do you have faith to keep the Sabbath day holy? Do you have faith to give your tithe for the building of His kingdom instead of buying that new toy? If you have this kind of faith then praise God. For He is the one who put to death the Lord Jesus Christ and raised Him again from the dead, redeeming you from the bondage of your sin and giving you that faith to believe it. 
But if your faith is weak, then pray that he will enable you to surrender for all of his glory. That he will draw you closer to himself and give you an ardent desire to study his revealed truths that are only, only found in his word so that your mind will be strengthened and your resolve to serve him will be heightened and that your love for him will be fervent. Saving faith is a mighty transforming power in the life of the believer. Beloved, believe it. Be assured of it. And then live it thankfully and joyfully before this world, taking dominion of this world for Christ. Amen. And that is Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. As we close out our time today, I'd leave you with our address, phone number, and our website. We'd love to hear from you. It always means a great deal to us when we hear somebody who has been listening to the program and being encouraged by it. It makes a big deal for us. 408-866-5607 is that phone number. Again, call us, 408 408- 866-5607. Or visit our website and leave us an email, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. And we also have past messages available, uh, an extensive library of audio that you can tap into at any time for free, right there at our website. Again, reformedheritage.org. Other resource materials are available from that website as well. If you'd rather write to us, the address is Abounding Grace, PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That is here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Normally, we'd invite you to join us for worship, but since we have been suspended because of the COVID-19 crisis, we invite you to visit our website instead and pick out a couple of recent messages that Pastor Gary has delivered here at Reformed Heritage Church. Again, reformedheritage.org. We'll also give you updates at that website as to when we return to normal worship. And you're always welcome to call us as well for that kind of information, 408 866 5607. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. <music>